Good morning, church. Today's Bible reading is from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient, bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. There is one body and one spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. This is the word of God. Well, I, I guess I want to say um, a thank you to the worship team. And I, I think we know that Pamela's voice is just magic, but have you ever really listened to Pamela and Aaron together? Oh, mate, good stuff. <laughs> no. It, you could just, you know, you, you listen and it's just this subtle, deeper tone in the back. It's, and I'm tone deaf, so, you know, what do I know? <laughs> well, but, mate, yeah, good stuff. Thank you, team. And, of course, Ross on the guitar. Yeah. Well, relationships. Yeah. I mean, I'm, I look at the order of service and it's uh, be patient with one another, which is, you know, one of the... It's a word there in that verse that Ashley read for us, but I want... You guys, I want to invite you to think about what is it in your relationship that tests your patience? Mm. What is it in your relationship that tests your patience? Uh, I've, got a, I've got two things. First one is these socks I'm wearing that don't stay up. Now, if that doesn't test anyone's patience, then I don't know what will. But you know what? No, 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 no. But no. No, it's the, well, that's not really necessary, you know, anything to do with relationship, is it? It's just what's my, my relationship to my legs and, and my comfort. <laughs> and it's annoying. But you know what else? This tests my patience in my relationship. Look at them. Look at the little blighters. You open up my um, linen press at home to get a towel out and these things will attack you. And when my granddaughters come and want to do craft, Poppy, what can we use? Oh, Grandma's got these. And they drive you mad. And at the end of it, you know, I'm going to throw them in the bin unless anybody else wants them. Does anyone want to take them home? They need a good home. No? <laughs> so what, is, what, test, what does test your patience? I mean, we're, going, we're talking, should I put them back in here or should I just leave them there? Because I guarantee they'll be up my, you know, crawling up my legs and all sorts of things. Ah, oh, dear, oh dear. 
You see, that's the context that Joel has embarked us on in this journey about relationships, isn't it? Authentic relationships. And over the past couple of weeks, Joel's been sharing with us, uh, as you, if you've been here from those passages of Scripture, that give instruction as to how we are to live with one another. And you might remember him saying that there's probably around 100 references to one another living. And as I said, the, the context for us is within his series that falls under the umbrella of authentic relationships. That's pretty much where I'm going to leave patience for the moment. Okay? But two things come up for me when I think about relationships, particularly when I hear the word authentic. How do you know when a relationship is authentic? What are the characteristics that would be on display if we were observing or taking part in an authentic relationship? And the other thing is, is the word relationship, is it a noun? a verb, or an adjective. Now, if it's a noun only, then it's simply the name that's given to two or more people or objects in close proximity. If it's a verb, which is a doing word, then that means that we're going to be witnesses to something that's happening between two or more people or two or more things. And if it's an adjective, well, I guess it's going to, going to be descriptive of that activity that's going to be witnessed between two or more people. For instance, they, they, they displayed a loving relationship or it seemed to be a hostile relationship. Now, the Macquarie Dictionary defines authentic as entitled to acceptance or belief, something that's reliable, trustworthy, or something of reputed origin. And the word relationship as a connection or a particular connection or a connection by blood or marriage or an emotional connection between people. And I want to invite you to keep those thoughts in mind as we go. But it seems to me that in the context of our Christian faith, we need to look through an additional lens, if you wish, because Jesus himself he modelled what authentic relationship is. Authentic relationship with God the Father. Authentic relationship with himself. And authentic relationship with others. The apostles Peter and Paul wrote to the early churches of the day how the people, that is us, the believers, needed to act and how to relate to and treat one another. And I'll get to the, the biblical portion uh, a little bit later. But right now, I just want to explore with you what authentic relationships mean or what they might mean for us in 2015. So the question is still there. Do you believe that you are authentic in your relationships? In the relationships that you have every single day, do you believe that you are authentic? Now, I don't expect you to uh, verbally answer that now, although I think some of the answers might be quite interesting. But I put that question there for your reflection, not to make us feel uncomfortable in any way, but to reflect on how we do relationship. And our relationships are not just confined to what happens in here on a Sunday morning. Our relationships, our authenticity, has to be happening out there as well. 
But how do we do relationships in life? And unless you're brand new to the faith, you've heard countless sermons on all these one another passages over many years. And so for most of us, we could, most of you here, I think you could probably predict what I would be saying, biblically speaking. What does the Bible say to us about authentic relationships and how to relate to one another? So again, the question remains, what do you, what do I contribute to my relationships that would identify them as being authentic? At the start of the series, Joel began with love one another. Yet love itself can't be forced. People can't be told to love this person or that person because love is an act of the will. It has to be a choice. Love must stem from our own relationship with Jesus Christ. And once we have experienced that love for ourselves, then we can go and share that same love with others so they too can have that experience. And yet the other, I guess the downside is that I think the word relationship is one of the most misunderstood and devalued words in the context of our Christian faith. And personally, and again this is only my view, personally I think it stems from being wrapped up in that word fellowship. And you might recall those times when you've heard of the, that term, the fellowship hour. That time when we're meant to just come here like we are today and, and mingle and check in with one another to share one another's burdens and so on, but it's just evolved into a time of a, a quick cup of tea and minimal conversations. So have we lost the art of relationship? You might have even been asked in your journey, where do you fellowship? Where do you go for that hour of singing and to hear the minister preach? And it became quite superficial. Now maybe it's not always like that, but sometimes I think for most of us it is. But it hasn't always been that way within the life of the Christian church. And it's not that way in still many parts of the world, particularly in places like Africa, where people would never dream of putting a time limit on relationships, where people would never dream of settling for anything less than a real, authentic relationship. There were various expressions of fellowship slash relationship or interaction in the ancient world. Back in the 5th century BC, in Athens, they had the, the polis, where the seat of democracy was, and uh, they almost invented that word, fellowship and relationship. But then as, as the people grew, I would imagine disenchantment set in, as it did with a lot of the Jewish institutions. Ordinary people were starting to be excluded from meaningful relationships and from any form, any exercise of power or influence. So if you were a Jew, then you resorted to one of the brotherhoods where you could enjoy that sense of togetherness. And if you were a Gentile, you could join a trade group, a, a guild or a partnership. They were very common back then. Or you might go to or turn to one of the, the mystery religions that were popping up. Those places where you attempted to find a group of people to try and make sense of your life. So in one sense, these Christian communities 
back then were no surprise. They were part of that growing movement towards that, that voluntary getting together and associating with people in the ancient world. And if that's the case, if that was the essence of our Christian community, of the early church, what's happened for us in 2015? What's happened for us as Christians that we need to be constantly reminded about how we're meant to be treating each other? But what we're meant to be doing when it comes to relating, relating to and, and caring for one another. And you know, it's not confined to the ancient world. This whole idea of relationship slash connection slash one anothering is very big on the agenda in society at the moment. Back in October, which was because we're now in November, there was a, there's two stories that, were come, that came on the news. One was about a guy who was retrenched from his job and he indulged himself in his love of uh, photography. And he went around taking pictures of just thousands of ordinary people in the city of New York. And he spent 30 to 40 minutes with each of them once he had taken their photos. And he asked them questions like this. What are you struggling with today? What is your greatest weakness? What do you feel most guilty about at this moment? What has been your greatest achievement in life so far? Probing questions, aren't they? And if you're interested, the book is called People of New York Stories. But this guy, this photographer, this fellow who was retrenched from his job, was intent on connecting with people. He said there was nothing that strangers would not tell him. And they all reported having such a profound experience, both for, for him who was asking the questions and taking the pictures, and for the people that he spoke to. Authentic relationship. It's tough. And the next example is one on our own shores in Perth. A young fellow wanted to make a statement about the huge amount of disconnection that was happening in society because of technology. And you can't deny it. We've all got mobile phones, iPads. We're all on them most of the time. Everybody just about in the world is on Facebook. But this guy, he, didn't, he, he, he wanted to make a statement about it. But he wanted to do it with compassion and not just rant and rave and, and tear down social media. So he organised an event in Perth Square, and I imagine it was a little bit like Martin Place. And he invited people to come and sit and make eye contact with another person. No words, just contact, to be in relationship with someone. And again, people reported a profound experience of connection. No words, just contact, relationship. You know, in um, counselling, Carl Jung was well known for all his um, theories and things on human behaviour. But he, uh, he had this quote, and I, I, I love it. It's, uh, he said, when talking about counselling itself, learn your techniques well, but be prepared to drop them when you touch the human soul. 
Learn your techniques well, but be prepared to drop them when you touch the human soul. That, my friends, is when you know you're in an authentic relationship, when you touch the soul of the person you're with. And I use this connection exercise sometimes in my counselling room with couples. And sometimes they report that it's actually the very first time they've actually encountered one another. So these early gatherings in the Christian church were qualitatively different from all of the other relationships that were happening around. These relationship settings were places where aristocrats and slaves, where Roman citizens and provincials, where Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, men and women, where everyone mixed without distinction. They were all on equal terms. And here were were societies possessing a quality of love and care that amazed and attracted those who saw it. And you might remember remember the early chapters of Acts when the, the people outside the early church said, I don't know what's happening there, but these people seem to love each other, or words to that effect. And the early historian, Tertullian, he wrote, the needy and the sick were shown particular consideration. One in mind and soul, we do not hesitate to share our earthly goods with one another. All things are common among us except our wives. And he pointed out rather unkindly that that's where pagans were most willing to share. So there was a great deal of love flowing in those meetings a great deal of connection, a great deal of authenticity, of authentic relationship. And it was sustained by the sacred words, words with which we use to nourish our faith, words that animate our hope, that give us confidence when we're struggling, that confirm our good habits and administer rebuke and censure. And here, my friends, is the biblical portion of today's message. What are those sacred words? The sacred words that nourish our faith day by day, that create that strong sense of community and togetherness, that animate our hope. That's a wonderful description, isn't it? Have you got an animated hope? Do we take that out there to the community? Are we animated with our hope that we have in in eternal life, with our faith in Jesus Christ? Those sacred words that raise our confidence when we're struggling. Those sacred words that confirm good habits and administer rebuke and censure. Well, they were read for us. Ashley read them and I'll read them again. And Paul writes, As a prisoner for the Lord, then I urge you to live a life worthy of the calling you have received. Be completely humble and gentle. Be patient Bearing with one another in love. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Why? Because there's one body, one Spirit, just as you were called to one hope when you were called. One Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all who is over all and in all. sacred words, words that animate our hope, 
How do we do it, friends? We do it with humility and gentleness and patience, holding one another in love. I went to the funeral service for Lee Morris on Friday and it was just wonderful to hear those words. He was a man of humility. He was gentle and meek, yet strong in his faith. And he touched so many lives. Holding one another in love means supporting, love, supporting one another when it's needed. It means going deeper, going far deeper than just organising an outing and having a good time, as good as they are. It's about sharing our lives. It's sharing the hard times, and all, as well as all of those enjoyable times. It's looking for the opportunities to practice patience. When I open the cupboard and they fall out and they jump all over me, I can react, throw them around, or I can be patient and think my grandchildren have a wonderful time making all sorts of things, wrapping tons and tons of sticky tape around them. It's about keeping the unity. The unity that already exists within the spirit through the bond of peace. So I asked the question earlier, what do I do? What do we contribute to our relationships that would define them as authentic? It's those characteristics that we would be observing in all the... First of all, in ourselves and then in others. Humility and gentleness and patience and support. And the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness and self-control. And again, we do it because there is one body, one Spirit, one hope when we were called. One Lord, one baptism, one God. One God and Father who is over all, through all and in all. You don't need me to tell you anymore. What I encourage you to do this coming week is to sit with this passage from Ephesians chapter 4, verses 1 to 6, open on your lap, and in your prayer time, ask that the Holy Spirit would help you to display the characteristics of an authentic, Christ-like relationship. Firstly, with him. Secondly, with others. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, you created us to be in relationship with you and with each other. And yet, Lord, in our humanity, there's times when we do, we do not get it right. There's so many things that do test our patience. And yet, Lord, you provide us with opportunities where we can practice patience, where we can be humble and gentle, where we can serve one another. And I pray, Lord, that as the, as the days progress and as this year is rapidly drawing to a close, that you will speak to us as the body of Christ here at Erina Community Baptist Church and we would begin to really understand and look at how authentic our relationships are. Thank you for being our God. Thank you for having and inviting us into a relationship with you. Amen.